Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships, so we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Good morning, Mountain View. So glad that you guys could join us online today. Hey, if I can be honest with you, I am really missing gathering with you right now. Uh, We decided to change things up today because we're starting off a brand new series we're calling A2C. It just stands for the Acts 2 Church. We see a church in the book of Acts in chapter 2 that we've always said that we want to emulate. And the reason we're going to go over this starting today and then taking us all the way through the month of June is because I can't think of a better time in my entire lifetime that as a church, we have the opportunity of actually living this out and what we see in the Acts 2 church. And so I hope that today by covering uh, the story on what leads up to the birth of this church, and then of course, uh, what they devote themselves to over the next several weeks, that you and I would begin to live that out at home with our neighbors, with our friends, and with our family. And so that's the idea behind this series. And so if you would, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be covering the story in the first 41 verses today. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to cover that story. And so uh, if you would turn over to Acts chapter 2. Also, if you have any questions, you can text them to the phone number at the bottom of the screen. And uh, we want to hear from you today. So if you have any questions during this message or if you have any prayer requests, we'd like to uh, pray for you as well. So make sure you send those to the phone number on the bottom of the screen. One of the greatest places on the face of the earth is the delivery room. It's an incredible place where life happens, and uh, you and I have to agree that anytime you have two people walk into a room and then three go out, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Uh, I heard a story here recently of three guys who were sitting in the waiting room. All three of their wives were in the delivery room, and they came out and broke the news to the first guy and said, you have twins. And he just was excited, the fact that not, not only was he taking one kid home, but he was taking two kids home, and he just happened to mention, it's so ironic because I play for the Minnesota Twins. And then they came out and they talked to the second guy. And they said, you're not going to believe this, but you have triplets. And the guy was just amazed. And he said, you know, it's so ironic because I work for the 3M company. And then about that time, the third guy fell out of his chair and he just started bawling. And the nurse went over to him and she said, what's wrong? And he says, I work for 7-Up. So it's, it's one of those things where the delivery room is amazing. This story today actually talks about the birth of the Christian church. And so we're going to take a look at what happened when the church first got started. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And for many of us, we don't really understand what that means. And so today you're going to get a better understanding of that. And I want to back clear up to the first century real quick. And I want to talk about what we just celebrated seven weeks ago, which was Easter. Now, we know that on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, we celebrated Jesus riding into Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. They celebrate him as the new Messiah, the new Savior. And then over the course of that week, there are so many different things that happen. But the reason he was coming into Jerusalem for the Passover feast was so that he could give his life at the cross for you and I. And that's what we, we remembered on Good Friday. And then, of course, three days later, on Easter Sunday, we come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You fast forward 50 
days. And what you do is you come to Pentecost Sunday, which is what we're talking about today. But before we get there, I want us to talk about Jesus. He, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And before he leaves, before he exits this earth, he gives some instruction to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, we fast forward 50 days later, and we pick the story up here in Acts chapter 2. Before we get going, I want to share with you that we're going to read this passage. We're going to read portions of it. I'm going to point out some contextual points, uh, highlight some of those for us today so that it brings some meaning out of the text for us today. But also, as we go along, I want to stop and make some observations about this text, especially as it relates to us here and now. And so let's jump into this. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, of course, that brings us to the question, what is Pentecost? And Pentecost is just simply a Greek word that means 50th. And, and what they're doing is they're counting the days from Passover until the 50th day. So they would go seven weeks. And then on that 50th day, they would start a Jewish festival. It was called the Festival of Weeks. It was actually a harvest festival. It was a pilgrim festival, which meant that according to Jewish law, every adult Jewish man had to be present in person in Jerusalem for this, this big festival. It was also a holiday. So there was no work, the stores were closed, school was out, and it was a massive party. Like they would have a big party in Jerusalem celebrating this new harvest. Another thing about this festival was that certain celebrations, certain observances, uh, sacrifices, offerings had to be made. One of them was where the priest would go and they would take a freshly baked loaf of bread, and it was usually made of the wheat that they just harvested and they would offer that to God. It was almost like an offering back to God for what he had given them. So in short, Pentecost was just this great big grand harvest festival, a spring harvest festival. Uh, the streets of Jerusalem would be clogged with people. Thousands of people would come from all over the compass to this place to celebrate this festival. And then look at what happens starting in verse 2. It says, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. In Hebrew and Greek, the word that's used for wind is the exact same word that's used for spirits. It's an amazing story. We find all of the disciples meeting in one place is what it says. And so my first observation from our text this morning is that God meets us where we're at. He meets us right where we're at, we're, whether we're at home, whether we're in our car, whether we're in prison, whether we're at work, it doesn't matter. God meets us right where we're at physically. And I would even take it a step further. He meets us right where we're at spiritually. 
We have people so far away from God, and then there are people drawing close to God every day, and it doesn't matter where you're at on that spiritual spectrum. God meets you right where you're at. Now, we're about to read about the first Christian sermon that was ever given, and it's preached at this festival built around this wheat harvest. Now, I don't know exactly how devout Jews um, celebrated. I don't know how they partied, but honestly, I don't think that they were expecting this. They, they didn't think that they were going to meet God in the middle of this party. You don't go to Mardi Gras to meet Jesus. And yet, even in this moment, here they are celebrating, and Peter stands up, and he begins to preach, and everyone there gets to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Where were you when Jesus came and found you? I mean, really saved you. Now, I'm not talking about when you were seven years old and you received Christ, and I'm not discounting that either. I'm just saying there's a moment in every believer's life where they they come face-to-face with Jesus, and it changes their life forever. Jesus goes from being an add-on to this focal point, the center of their life. I was raised in a Christian home. I believe I knew Christ at a very young age. I was baptized early, but it wasn't until my 20s until I really got serious about my faith. Up until that point, Jesus was just something that, that was a part of my life. Uh, in that moment when I was broken before God and I got serious about who Jesus was and, and what he meant to me, he became the focal point of my life. Where were you at? Do you remember that moment? Because God meets us right where we're at. It also says we hear them speaking in our own native language. Now, this is different than the tongues that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says that that's a spiritual language. It's, it's a, not an earthly language. And here they're celebrating this festival. They're, they're, they're speaking their own native tongues. These are earthly languages. And so the second observation I would give you is that God loves everyone. He loves each and every one of us, no matter where we're from, no matter what language we speak, no matter what color we are. Now, because of that, I feel like I need to share something with you based upon current events. I have a little bit different perspective because I was in law enforcement long before I became a pastor. And I have to tell you that uh, my heart's broken over what's going on right now. I know from being in law enforcement and all the officers that I've known for many, many years, 99.9% of them are amazing people, amazing men and women, all different colors, speaking different languages, all doing the same job of law enforcement. And they're doing it because they love their communities, because they love their families. They want to make the world a better place. You definitely don't go in law enforcement to make money. And so here they are trying to do the best that they can. And something I know, whether it's federal, state, county, city, whatever it is, is we have some amazing law enforcement officers who are protecting us every day. The problem with this is that and this is true for every occupation, is that we are judged by our bad apples. And whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse or a teacher, a pilot, a pastor, everyone's judged, every occupation is judged by their bad apple. And what's interesting is you talk to anybody in any of those occupations, they want the bad ones out. They, they don't want them there. They, they want them out as bad as anyone else. And so I, I would say it this way, the, the problem's not the police. I would also say this, and this might surprise you a little bit, the problem is not racism either. It's not racism. To, to say that this is a racial issue would be the same thing as having somebody check into the emergency room because they're struggling and breathing and say that we're going to treat them for a respiratory issue when the fact is they're actually having a cardiac arrest. See, we're, we're just treating the symptoms at this point. It's not a police issue, and it's not a race issue. Let me tell you what it is. It's a heart issue. 
Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is going to sound absolutely stupid to you. But for those of you that are a believer, you've turned your life over to Christ and Jesus has transformed your life. You know this to be true. The only answer to this heart issue is Jesus Christ. And until you and I can see each other the way God sees us, until we can see each other as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of skin color, regardless of what language we speak, until you and I can see each other as imago Dei, created in God's image, this heart issue, this, let's call it what it is, this evil will remain. Jesus is the answer for the heart issue that we're, we're experiencing right now. God loves everyone. God loves each and every person, regardless of background, regardless of color of skin, regardless of language. And he calls us to do the exact same thing as well. So all the people are, are gathered all over Jerusalem. They're, they're celebrating this festival and they, they hear the disciples speaking in their own language. And it says in there that they hear them telling them about the good, wonderful things that God has done. That's what they're telling them about in their own language. And somebody stands up in the middle of this whole mess and tries to explain what's going on. And the only explanation that they have is that they're drunk. And so he says, they're drunk. And I love Peter in verse 14 because he stands up and he goes, we're not drunk because it's only 9 a.m. Logical argument, right? Like nobody's ever drank in the morning, but that's his argument. But then he goes on and he actually starts to quote the prophet Joel. And he quotes out of Joel chapter two. And he says things like, look, God told you he was going to pour his spirit out on all of his people. And he said, in those days, your sons and daughters, they were actually going to prophesy and your young men, they were going to have visions and your old men, they were going to dream dreams. And he, and he goes on, he says things like the sun is going to get dark and the moon is going to turn blood red. And all this is going to happen before the great and glorious day when the Lord arrives. And then he ends it with this. He says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on to say that God sent Jesus as the Messiah and that they missed it. And this is what he says. He says, um, but you killed him. You killed him. Then he begins to quote from King David from uh, Psalm chapter 16. And, and they, they love King David because he's like one of their heroes of the faith. And so they're keyed in. Now they're listening. But then this is what he tells him. He says, but David's dead. Like David died. You, his tomb's right over here. You know that he's dead. And, and, and he didn't raised from the, the dead, and he, and he didn't ascend into heaven, but Jesus did, and we're all witnesses to it. See, we saw Jesus crucified. We saw him in the grave, and we saw him as he visited all of us before he ascended into heaven. We know this to be true, and then he goes back, and, and he starts quoting King David from Psalm chapter 110, and, and in this moment, he wraps everything up with the statement from Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. There he goes again. He says it again, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So my third observation this morning is that the Holy Spirit emboldens us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. It it makes us bold. We get a, a knowing that we've never had before, a deeper understanding of Jesus and his will and his desire and and what God would have from us. And we get that through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to move and, and open our eyes to things we've never seen before. And we know this because we just saw these disciples. You know the story. The disciples weren't known for their spines of steel. They weren't known for being bold. Actually, many times they were clueless. But in this moment, They have the answers, and they're speaking boldly to the entire nation in Jerusalem. They're telling them all about Jesus Christ, and they're making statements like, you killed him. 
but they're speaking in such a way that everyone understands and they're, they're receiving it. In his commentary on this very passage, John Gill writes it this way. He says, through this baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire, the apostles became more knowing and had a greater understanding of the mysteries of the gospel and were more qualified to preach it to people of all nations and languages. It's one of the things that we see several times in Scripture, both in Matthew and in Luke. It says, you know, at the right time, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit is going to teach you what to say. We see that several times. The Holy Spirit makes us more aware of what God is desiring. It it gives us a deeper understanding of who God is and, and what he wants from us and what he wants us to say. Now, look at what happens when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit prompts you on what to say and you actually are obedient. Take a look at verse 37. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, it's amazing in this text that twice Peter accuses them of killing Jesus. Like the reason he's dead is because you killed him. This is, this is exactly what he said. So here's the fourth observation I have for you. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth about ourselves. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth about ourselves. When we are in, filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to convict us. He begins to point things out to us that maybe we've never seen before. Maybe things that we thought were okay before, but now that we're drawing closer to God, they're not okay anymore. And God begins to use the Holy Spirit to show us how to live our lives in a way that honors him. It's the paradox that we see in scripture so often that the closer we draw to Jesus, the further away from him that we realize we are. We see this all through scripture. And this is what the Holy Spirit does, is it begins to chip away and show us and convict us and lead us and guide us in our lives so that we might become more and more like Jesus Christ. So what's the answer to our true state of our depravity? Look at verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. What he's doing is he's giving them the gospel. He's giving them the good news of what Jesus has done for them the fact that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, that he rose again so they could have eternal life. He's telling them how to be saved, how to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've never received Jesus Christ today, I want you to know that you need to do that. Today's the day for that. Don't let another day go by. Jesus gave his life for you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants a right relationship with you. He came and gave his life, and he offers it to you freely. What do you need to do if you're asking the same question as the people in Acts chapter 2? You need to repent. You need to confess your sins. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized. God will fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he will begin to grow you up in him so that you might live the life that he has for you. Don't let today pass without receiving Christ. Verse 40 says, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So the fifth observation that I have for you today is that the Holy Spirit produces multiplying disciples. It's, a, it's fruit. It's the product of the indwelling or the, the Holy Spirit living within you that you can't help yourself but tell people about Jesus Christ. You do exactly what Peter did. You begin to, to point them to Jesus so that they might receive him and be saved. Remember what Jesus 
told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what we talked about at the very beginning of this message. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. See, they received the Holy Spirit. They went out in the streets. They began to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 of them were saved. Talk about the birth of a church, 3,000, and the 7-Up guy was a little nervous. Now, we didn't have 3,000 baptisms, but we did have three baptisms here Thursday night, and we celebrate each and every one. Why? Because this is what it's about. This is what it's about, pointing people to Jesus seeing them receive Christ and be baptized, seeing the the Holy Spirit enter into their life and change their life forever. It's about the kingdom of God expanding. How? Through the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people. The fact that he meets with us right where we're at by giving us the courage to live out and preach the gospel, by revealing the truth about us and our world. And through the Holy Spirit, we become multiplying disciples. This is what happened on Pentecost. This is what happens in God's church. When we receive Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the promise that he's given to each and every believer. And so in this moment, I pray that we would embrace this free gift of salvation and a right relationship with God, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, so that God may do in and through us what he desires. This is the first step to becoming an Acts 2 church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this passage that it's remained in the passage for 2,000 years to remind us of the birth of your church, the fact that it started with people who believed in you, who repented, confessed their sins, and turn their life over to you, Lord. And and we praise you and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would never underestimate that. Lord, may we embrace that today because it's through your Spirit that you begin to, to meet with us. You begin to embolden us. You begin to reveal the truth about who we are, Lord. And we we can, through the power of your Spirit, become these disciples who reach the world around us for your namesake. Lord, I pray that this would be the first step that we would take here on the eastern plains of Colorado to receive your your Holy Spirit, to begin to be in tune with what it is that you're doing and partner with you in the work that you are already doing through your spirit. God, I pray all this continues to grow your kingdom, to mold and shape us into the people that look more and more like you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.